Good evening. It is a pleasure to be with you all once again to worship the Lord together and to hear from His Holy Word. Uh, Please, at this time, turn in your copies of God's Word to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, and we will read verses 4 to 15. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray once again and ask for his blessing. Dear Lord, even as we have heard the words of Christ to us this evening, that those with ears are to hear, we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would give us ears that could hear, eyes that would see in faith and look and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us uh, to do that which we are unable to do in and of our own strength ever since the fall. Lord, be gracious to us. Give us those ears we so desperately need to hear your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this parable of the soils has to be one of the most well-known of all of Jesus' parables. In fact, all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, include this in their accounts. So it's one we're familiar with. You know, we've, we've heard it many times. We've heard it in Sunday school. We, maybe we've heard sermons preached on it. We've read it in our own private Bible reading times. And certainly it's good for us to to know our Bibles, um, and yet there can also be a danger with familiarity. When we're so familiar with a passage, there can be a danger that we take it for granted, and so then we don't listen well to what God has for us. Another danger of familiarity is that we can assume that because we've heard something so many times that we understand it when perhaps we may not. And so we sit and we hear without really listening, which ironically is what Jesus' parable of the sower is all about. 
In fact, there is a common misunderstanding concerning parables. Uh, The all-too-common misunderstanding of parables is that they are these very simple and and down-to-earth messages. And you hear people say that, oh, look at Jesus, uh, the man of the people, how plain and simple he is. He doesn't use any technical theological jargon or uh, words with multiple syllables. No, he just uses simple illustrations like a sower went out to sow. Well, if that's what you think parables are, then you may have fallen into the second error. Because according to Jesus, parables have the exact opposite purpose. Notice how after Jesus spoke the parable to the crowds, no one has a clue what he has just been talking about. Even the disciples have to come to him and seek an explanation. And that's because the purpose of parables is not to make the truth plain and clear and down to earth to the average Israelite. Its purpose is actually to conceal and to hide the truth. As Jesus himself explains in verse 10, to you, speaking to his disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And what Jesus is doing is he's kind of uh, taking Isaiah's situation and bringing it into bear on his own situation. In Isaiah's day, the Israelites had, had enough of hearing God's word. They had enough of God's prophets and messengers and spokespersons. And so God, in judgment, uh, pulled away his word. And Isaiah's ministry began to take on a, a, a speaking less clearly uh, and so that their hearts would be further hardened. And so by quoting Isaiah 6, Jesus is comparing the people of his day to Israel of Isaiah's day. And so Jesus' ministry would be like Isaiah's ministry. Up until now, Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, has spoken very clearly. There have been very few, um, if you could say, if any, parables. Uh, but now, having been rejected by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Uh, having been considered to be a mere teacher, a a wonder worker by so many people. Well, now, like Isaiah, he will speak less clearly through parables in order to conceal the truth from hard-hearted people. So if parables are designed to conceal the truth, and we are hearing a parable preached this evening, uh, well, why are we here? What good will this be to us if parables conceal the truth? How are we to know what this parable means? How are we to unlock its secrets? And that's where Jesus' parables have a twofold effect. On the one hand, the unbelieving, hard-hearted person hears the parable, shrugs their shoulders, and walks away in, in disgust and disbelief. But the believing Israelite, the, the person who trusts in Jesus will receive the word and they will desire to know more about it. Those with hearts of faith will seek Jesus for understanding. I notice that's exactly what the disciples do. Uh, They don't know what Jesus is talking about any more than the crowds do, but their faith seeks understanding. And so they go to Jesus and they ask what it means. And he reveals to them the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom. 
And that response of faith to the word, faith seeking understanding, faith receiving the word and holding fast to it, is what this parable is all about. In the parable, Jesus outlines for us four responses to the preaching of the word. Three that lead to ruin and one that leads to life. Well, just like the disciples, we this evening have the great privilege and blessing of having the mysteries of the kingdom uh, unraveled and unfolded before us. We have the blessing of hearing God's word preached. And so let us obey the words of Christ when he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's consider then each of these four soils in turn. Well, first, there's the, the seed that falls along the hard pathway. As Jesus explains, each of these soils represents the heart or the, the soul of a person. The seed itself represents the, the Word of God and the, the Word of God specifically as it's preached. And so, if the seed is the Word, well, then who is the sower? I think we can understand the sower on the one hand as the Lord Jesus himself. He is the great prophet. He is the great teacher of his people. And we can also consider the sower to be those who proclaim and open and speak the word. Those who are called to be ministers. Those whom Paul calls stewards of the mysteries of God. Those who preach on Christ's behalf. Now, one reason why this parable made very little sense to those who heard it is because the farmer, the sower, isn't a very clever sower or farmer. Um, Seed in that day, and I think still today, if you've ever had to seed a patch of uh, grass in your yard, seed is expensive. It's a valuable resource. And you would think that a farmer or a wise farmer with some experience would scatter the seed only in the places of his field that were, well, guaranteed to grow. Why is the farmer scattering seed along the pathway? Why is he throwing it where he knows thorns will grow? Why is he throwing it where he knows birds gather to steal and take what falls? However, given Jesus' explanation... What makes for a a careless farmer makes for a faithful preacher. For just as the seed is thrown indiscriminately and it falls on every sort of surface and place, the path, the field, all sorts of places, so the preacher of the word is to preach the word indiscriminately to all sorts of people. Just as this farmer doesn't carefully analyze the, the you know, pH levels of the soil and determine that the best place for his seed to grow. So also we do not pick and choose those whom we announce the good news of the gospel to. We don't know who the elect are and we don't know how people will respond. And so we make the free offer of the gospel known to all people that all who repent, all who trust in Jesus will be saved. The responsibility to respond lies with the hearer. The power to do so with the the working of the Holy Spirit, regenerating their heart, giving them renewed faculties. But we must be faithful to preach the word to all. As the canons of Dort say, the word of God is to be preached promiscuously. There are some things that ought not to be done promiscuously, of course. 
But the word of God, the preaching of the word, is to be spread out and sent out promiscuously to all kinds of people. We preach the word to all. Well, as the word is preached, as the seed is scattered, the first place it falls on is the hard pathway. Uh, think here of a, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you've got a patch in your, your backyard or your front yard that maybe it's been traveled on a lot by kids or animals or something like that, and there's no grass growing there. It's just this hard, compacted uh, earth. And that's the first place the seed falls. And Jesus explains its meaning in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the first soil represents the the hard heart, that although they hear the gospel, it doesn't penetrate. They hear it, but it's in one ear, it's out the other. It does not penetrate the hard surface of their soul. And doesn't this describe so well, probably, uh, the, the response that we're so used to receiving? Maybe you have a, an unbelieving work colleague and you've, you've tried to evangelize them. You've tried to announce the good news of the gospel to them. There's no interest. They're hard. They're cold. They, they just don't even want to consider it. Or maybe you've tried with family members. Maybe you have a, a wayward teenager, a son or daughter, and, and they're so hardened to the word. And that word that fell on their heart is just not penetrated at all. Well, it can be very hard and and. and, and frustrating, and, and, and we, we feel sorrow when those efforts uh, go uh, unresponded to by the hearts of other people. And yet, as Jesus tells us, this kind of response is something we should expect as we sow the seeds of the gospel. What's interesting, though, is how Jesus attributes their unbelief to the devil. He says, Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now in salvation, God is 100% sovereign and we are 100% 100 responsible to respond and we're held accountable for our actions, for our sin. And there's certainly, there's mystery in that. But Jesus teaches us that there is a third party who is at work. Certainly not in competition to God's sovereignty, but certainly in competition with the sown uh, word. Uh, The devil is at work opposing the word of God so that, as Jesus says, people may not believe and be saved. Satan does not want hearers of the word, first of all, to hear the word, but second of all, to receive the word. This is such a a sobering eye-opener. Jesus is alerting us to the fact that every time the Word of God is faithfully declared from pulpits here and all over the world, every time faithful ministers open the Word and proclaim it to people, there is someone opposed, a spiritual power, Satan, and he desires to captivate the minds and hearts of those who hear. Beloved, even now, there is a war, there is a battle for your minds, for the minds and hearts of men and women, boys and girls who sit under the word. Wherever the word is faithfully proclaimed, we can be assured the devil will oppose it. J.C. Ryle comments, From him come wandering thoughts, roving imaginations, 
Listless minds and dull memories, sleepy eyes and fidgety nerves, weary ears and distracted attention. In all these things, Satan has a great hand. People marvel how it is that they find sermons so dull and remember them so badly. They forget the parable of the sower. They forget the devil. Certainly there's a sense in which maybe Ryle is is overstating his case in in some some respects. You know, let's be honest, sometimes moms have have sleepy eyes because uh, they've been up all night with the baby. Or dad has weary ears because he's, he's wrestling with a, a three-year-old or four-year-old back in, in the, you know, the back of the pews there. So there are legitimate things that can distract us maybe from hearing the word as, as well as we'd like. And yet at the same time, at the same time, let's not be uh, so rationalistic that we, we rationalize away all of our distractions. No, Jesus teaches us Satan is very real. And he hovers like a a spiritual vulture wherever the word is proclaimed, ready to pick away the seeds from our hearts. And so even now, let us be vigilant. Let us be alert and keep our hearts and minds focused on his word. The second soil is the rocky soil. You know, think of uh, maybe a, a rocky bedrock or maybe it's a portion of your driveway that the earth has just kind of uh, eventually taken over. Uh, there's, just, there's, there's nothing underneath. It's just a, maybe a top layer of soil and then rock. Nothing can truly grow there. Nothing can truly survive long term and put down deep roots. Because as soon as the sun comes, whatever life was there will be uh, snatched away. It will shrivel and die. That's what Jesus explains. He explains the meaning of this soil in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, fall away. The striking thing about these people, Jesus describes, is that when they hear the word, initially they receive it with joy. And even believe in it for, for a while. Now the first group heard, but did not receive the word. The second group are said to receive the word. Jesus presents it as though there was some kind of uh, genuine emotional response. Something was, was going on in their hearts and in their minds. They receive it. It makes them joyful. They, they seem to believe for a while, but then they fall away. Something that every Christian will eventually come to experience is the heartbreak, the heartbreak of seeing someone that you once called a brother or a sister in the faith walk away, fall away from the faith. Perhaps even now faces are coming to your mind. I know they come to my mind whenever I think of this subject. Faces, people you, you, you worshipped with, people you were convinced were, were true believers, and yet they fell away from the faith. And when we look at that and our hearts break, and sometimes maybe we see the warning signs, sometimes we don't. It's unpredictable. And we say, how can that be? It's quite providential that your scripture reading this evening was from Hebrews chapter 6, because I think that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about there in chapter 6, when he writes of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. 
and then have fallen away. These are people who had once been enlightened. You know, they sat through maybe the members' classes. They sat through sermon after sermon. They sat through all of the Sunday school classes, and they seemed to be taking it in. They seemed to be learning. They were enlightened. There was some kind of change, some kind of response in their lives. They were baptized. They were welcomed as members of the church. They tasted the heavenly gift, probably a reference to the Lord's Supper. But even after all of that, they fell away from the faith and into soul-destroying sin and unbelief. Why does that happen? How does it happen? Well, Jesus explains the reason they fell away. He says, but these have no root. The seed that lands on the rocky soil might appear to show some signs of life and growth, but it's something that cannot last because it isn't real. It has no root. Whatever life it seems to have is just that. It's a seeming life. It's, it's superficial. So it's not as though it once had a root and then the root somehow fell off or it lost it or something to that effect. No, Jesus explains that the problem was there from the very beginning. They had no root. So whatever emotions they expressed, whatever verbal assent they gave to doctrine, whatever experiences they had, they lacked the true root of saving faith. Perhaps they joined the church because of the the benefits of of church community, the, the family of faith that we are. Or perhaps they joined because of the assistance that could be offered. Maybe they were lonely and they they enjoyed the the women's studies or the men's breakfasts or whatever the case may be. Maybe they they wanted a, a new spiritual experience. They had tried a bunch of religions before and this was the next thing on their list. Whatever the case, there was no true root of saving faith. And so they fell away. You know, something that this teaches us is that feelings and emotional responses alone are insufficient. Uh, certainly, we don't reject uh, emotional responses. The word so often, doesn't it, calls us to be joyful and to receive the word with joy. But the problem here is that uh, it's all at the level of emotions. And so they, maybe they, 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 they walked along that, that altar call or whatever the case may be. They showed the right emotions. The, the pastor pressed them with a decision, whatever the case may be, and they said yes. But it wasn't something that could last because we are not saved based on our emotional responses. Feelings alone are insufficient. Rather, we are saved through trusting and resting fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ in who He is as the God-man, and in what He has done in living the righteous life that we could not live, in dying the sin-atoning death we could never pay, being raised to the right hand of the Father. It's a faith rooted in Christ that lasts. So Jesus explains that the problem here with this soil was that there was no root. But the, the catalyst was a time of testing Notice how Jesus says that. He says, they believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. They claimed to follow Christ, but at some point, some event happened in their lives that tested their true loyalties. 
And that testing exposed their rootlessness. What was really important to them, what they really rooted themselves in, and that the core of their being became evident. They were forced to make a choice. Maybe, perhaps, it was a choice between Christ and a a sinful romantic relationship. Perhaps it was a choice between a work situation and Christ. Whatever the case was, they did not choose Christ. And their rootlessness was exposed and they apostatized. Beloved, let us be sobered by our Lord's teaching, especially in times of trial. In times of trial, we are most often, aren't we, tempted to look for some kind of sinful escape in our loneliness, to seek a sinful romantic relationship, in our trial of poverty to cheat or steal. So often trials bring with it a testing, and we're tempted to to do that which we ought not do. Instead, in our trials, let us hold fast to Christ, to the one who roots us and grounds us and is our anchor through the storm. Again, there will be more on that in the fourth point. Well, the third place, the seed lands, is among the thorns. Jesus explains in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Well, this group is similar to the uh, previous group. It's not identical, though. Uh, Jesus describes their, their response in maybe, maybe a less impressive manner. Uh, they're not said to, to receive the word with joy. Rather, they, they just kind of hear the word and then sort of go on their way, kind of just, you know, pl- plod along. Again, it seems there's some kind of positive response, some kind of uh, expression of of faith in Christ. But what happened? Well, Jesus explains that they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Now, of course, it's not a a bad thing to have cares and concerns in life. Uh, All of us, at some level, should care for our health. We should care about our finances and that we can... Uh, do, that, do that which we can to provide for ourselves uh, in retirement, those sorts of things. Uh, in fact, if we saw someone who lived completely carefree and, hadn't, and didn't have a care in the world about how they spent their money or saved their money, we, we'd say that person was naive. We'd say they were foolish. They, they need help. And so it's not wrong to have cares. It's not wrong to have riches, to be wealthy. It's not wrong to enjoy pleasures. Jesus himself enjoyed the pleasures of life. He enjoyed good food and good drink, good company. The problem with the the people in this category is that they have, have allowed these good things to completely take over. They have allowed these good things to choke the life out of their, their spiritual life. That's the imagery Jesus uses of of these thorns and weeds choking the life out of these good plants that the the farmer wants to grow. In the previous example, it seems like it was some kind of big event, a crisis point, a a time of testing where someone's loyalties were tested and they fell away. But here, with this soil, with this soul, it seems, seems more like a slow fade just as your lawn can be slowly and gradually overtaken by weeds and 
crabgrass and those uh, nice, neat divisions at one point you put where you wanted to grow vegetables or grow flowers is now overtaken by all sorts of weeds. It It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. So too, the Word can be choked out by the things of this world. The Word gets pushed aside by a, a, a care and a concern that captivates us with temporal things. Little by little, this individual gives more and more concern to earthly fair, affairs than spiritual things. And their spiritual life gets choked out and it dies. It's very like the sad case of Demas, the fellow worker of the Apostle Paul, who abandoned Paul. Imagine abandoning the Apostle Paul. He abandoned him because he loved too much the things of the world. Paul writes to Timothy, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The same thing can happen to us. Like the people in the parable, we we hear the word. but We become so preoccupied with the, the, the cares and the concerns of life. Something that can take place in the family, where we're status is so concerned about work and he's always bringing it home with him and the kids are always being bossed to this event to that event sports games uh, you know uh, instrument lessons friends houses and the family's never there together just sitting at a table having family worship discussing the sermon from the the previous Sunday catechizing and and, then the concerns and cares of the world choke out our private worship in our families can happen at an individual level. And so in light of Jesus' parable, we need to ask ourselves, are we too distracted by the things of the world? Do we care more for the maintenance of our our houses, our, our cars, than we do for the maintenance and care of our own souls? Do we spend more time worrying and staying up at night uh, trying to, to build and strengthen our, our Roth IRAs than we do trying to strengthen our faith and our trust and our hold on Christ? Are we more concerned about our bodies? Going to the gym, making sure we eat the right kinds of things, organic food, whatever it is. Not wrong to do those things. But has, has that exceeded our care for what we spiritually consume? Eating the right things, not indulging in things we should not do that are not profitable to our souls. Let us pray that the Lord would give us firm, deep roots in Him. And let us pray that we might not be so uh, enamored with the, the cares and the concerns of the world that our spiritual life would be choked out. Instead, let us pray that the Lord would help us as we hold on to Him. And if you think that they have then repent of those things, even tonight. Bring them before the Lord. Repent before Him and ask Him to strengthen you in the Word. So there's the the hard pathway, there's the rocky soil, there's the thorny soil, but finally there is the good soil. Jesus says in verse 15, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the Word, hold fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. The final soil is different from the others, isn't it? While the other soils hear the word and reject it, either immediately or after a time, this heart receives it and holds fast. 
And the result is that it bears fruit. Let's consider each of these these differences of, of this soil from the other soils. Well, the first thing that marks this as different is that this soil, the soil is said to have an honest and good heart. This heart has something that only the Lord can give. A heart that is changed. Only the Lord can give us hearts of flesh replacing our cold, stony hearts. Well, the second thing is that this heart holds fast to the Word. The two previous hearts are described as hearing the Word, receiving it for a time, but ultimately falling away because they do not hold fast to the Word. The Word never took root in their hearts, but this good and honest heart holds fast. If you've ever seen the movie Master and Commander, you've probably seen how sailors uh, long ago, and certainly they do today, but certainly long ago, they, they faced many dangers out at sea, including storms and high waves and the risk of being thrown overboard. Uh, what was necessary, what was essential for their survival and for the, the right operating of the ship and to keep everyone alive was that these sailors would hold fast to the lines, that they would stay at their post, that they would not be washed overboard by the waves or uh, thrown around by the wind. They had to hold fast. And so what they would do is, uh, on their knuckles, they would tattoo, hold fast. And then as the waves came and as the wind blew, they would hold their lines and they would look at those words and their hearts would take courage and they would hold fast. And so Jesus, as it were, is calling us to tattoo onto the knuckles of our hearts Those words, hold fast, Jesus says. Hold fast to my word. And then you will be preserved from having the word plucked from your heart like the devil, or by the devil, or choked out by the weeds. Well, the third mark of this good heart is patience. It's similar to holding fast, but it also has some nuance. Jesus says they bear fruit with patience. The Greek word for patience describes the quality of, that's needed to bear up under trial. It's the opposite of being tested and then falling away, like one of the previous soils. In order to live faithfully, we need to have this gift of patience. Now you wonder, taking a step back, you you wonder what the disciples are thinking at this point as Jesus explains this parable to them. He first said the parable. They They didn't know what he meant by it. Then they come to him and he says, okay, I'll reveal to you the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom. Are you ready? Here are the secrets to living as citizens in my kingdom. Are you ready? It's holding fast and it's being patient. Well, that's not very exciting, isn't it? Is it? Uh, holding fast, being patient. Those, us- those usually are not words that kind of stir us with excitement uh, or even curiosity. It seems rather un- un- underwhelming. Truly, Jesus, the, the secrets for life in the kingdom, uh, isn't there like seven steps that we need to follow or isn't there a certain prayer we need to say once a day facing a certain direction? Jesus says no. The secret to life in the kingdom is holding fast to the word and being patient. Being patient. And we do that. We do that as we submit ourselves to his means of grace. Privately in the home, reading the word, discussing the word, having conversation with our children, with our spouses, with our friends, maybe if we're not married. 
praying the word, singing the word privately. And primarily, it's what we're doing now. It's sitting under the word as it's preached and as it's read and as it's, 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 uh, we, we sing the word. We return to God, his word to him, offering him the praise that he's due. And as we look at this, it all seems so ordinary. It seems so routine. Isn't there more to the Christian life than this? Isn't there more to the expansion of the kingdom than just the simple, foolish, boring preaching of the word? Sunday after Sunday, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. And yet this is what Jesus promises to bless. Jesus doesn't promise to bless the, the antics of revivalists and uh, you know, those evangelistic crusade meetings. He doesn't promise to bless uh, climbing up mountains and whipping yourself and all the shenanigans that, the, that pseudo-Christianity has to offer. No, Jesus says, this is what I promise to bless. The simple and faithful preaching of the word. And you, dear disciple of mine, hold fast to it in faith Verse 15, Jesus says that holding fast with patience will bear fruit. Verse 8, he had said that a heart that holds fast to his word will yield a hundredfold harvest. It reminds us of the promise in James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. How many of you ever look back at your life and wonder, where is the fruit in my life? What have I done for Christ? Maybe you're here and you're, you're in your, you, you've been a Christian 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you're, you're looking back and you're wondering, where is, is my fruit? Perhaps you're a much older saint. Maybe in your, you're in your 80s and, or your 90s. And you look back, you're, you're in a time of life where you're very reflective and you, you ask that same question. Where, where's the fruit? Where's the, the evidence of my faith through my life? I haven't accomplished great things, maybe like the Apostle Paul or these missionary biographies that I read. What have I done? Where is my fruit? Well, dear saint, if you are 10 or 20 or 30 years along in your Christian walk and you today are still rooted in Christ and trusting in Him, there is your fruit if you're 80 years old or 90 years old and you're still holding fast to Christ your Savior, there is your fruit. And as you look back on your life and you consider the hardships, the difficulties, the ridicule, the rejection by friends and family members, the persecution you faced, the trials of cancer, of surgeries, whatever it was, and you see how the Lord preserved you through all of those things in your time of testing, you held fast to Christ. Look at that. And give thanks to the Lord, because there is your fruit. You bore fruit through patience. Patience. Storing the word up in your heart. Holding fast to it by patience. You want to know the secrets of the kingdom? The secrets of a faithful life? Or a fruitful life? Well, I gave it away. The secret to a, a, a fruitful life is simply a faithful life. A patient life, trusting in the means that Christ has given to us, holding fast to him through those things. Well, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This parable comes to us today. It speaks judgment on those who walk away and say, I don't have time for this. This is foolish. On those who reject Christ's word, he pronounces judgment on those who are hard-hearted. But... 
Make no mistake, this parable proclaims a rich, abundant salvation to all who hear and receive in faith. And so, beloved, let us keep sowing the seed through the preaching of the Word. Let us keep holding fast to the Word that we might bear fruit with patience. And let us keep trusting in His promise that He will bring about a great harvest in our lives and throughout the world as He gathers in all of His elect. Let's pray. Our great God and Savior, we thank You for the work of Your Holy Spirit in our lives, giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we do pray for all present, those who may not know You yet, we pray for Your Spirit's work in their hearts, that they might receive good and honest hearts, that they might receive the implanted Word to the saving of their souls. Lord, build us all up in the most holy faith that we might grow and be fruitful and so be faithful to you until the end. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, let us take a moment to meditate upon the word that we have received this evening.